Welcome to uh, the latest episode of Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. This podcast was created f uh, with the sole intention of helping people overcome adversity in their lives. You know, so many people suffer in silence that by having people, courageous people come on and share their, their stories and be vulnerable about what they've been through, we give other people hope. And I'm, I'm really excited and, and actually very honored that today uh, Ricky Mendez is actually in studio with us. He's up here in, in Westlake recording. And welcome, Ricky. Welcome in studio, baby. I yeah, <laughs> I know. It's so great. And, and we've been we've been working on getting together and, and doing this live because you're a live kind of guy. And, you know, you're... you're um, your story is amazing. You know, you've inspired me since I've started to get to know you and, and watch the things that you're doing. And besides being, you know, this in incredible speaker that's helping companies change the trajectory of their sales teams and the way that their workforces um, show up in, in, in their daily lives, your your woman empowerment passion, you know, the way that you mentor and, and are mentored by so many people uh, and the way that you've come so far in your life is, is inspiring. And I, I was so excited to have you on, not just because of your own overcome story, but because of how you help so many other people overcome, man. So, so thanks for some, thanks for coming. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And, and same, I got my pens and I'm ready to share them too. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's, it's our life. It's our pen. So, you know, maybe tell us, cause, cause this, this hasn't always been the Ricky Mendez that the world was, was introduced to. You were a very different version of yourself and, 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 and created this version of yourself through the things that you're going to help us understand. Tell us a little bit about your origin story, where you grew up and, and, and how things started for you, man. Yeah, I, so I grew up, my mom and dad, um, super loving, and you know I've made this argument a number of times whether people are living in a comfort zone and people living in poverty. I, had, I never had to worry about food on the table. I never had to worry about you know, where I had to sleep at night. And you know my parents always supported me. So it's, I felt I grew up in a very comfort zone you know, middle class you know, family, which is great and awesome, but also to be able to take risk was another step. That's what I really had to learn because in, you know, whether it's you're, you're in poverty or you're in the comfort zone, change can look be looked at very differently. So when you're really struggling, change is a good thing. When you're in a comfort zone, change is almost a bad thing and people tell you not to change. So that was one of the interesting parts about my, the way that I grew up. Um, so, but luckily for me, I, you know, my parents did support me in taking some risk and that, that made all the difference and all the adversity that came along with taking some of those risks was a big part of what led to some of the success I had. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some early, some early, uh, physical pictures of you and, and how you weren't taking care of yourself and how you were kind of living this different life. And, and was that, was that the result of just staying comfortable? Because I, I, I think, you know, adolescents make choices based on preference and I think as we grow up and mature we make choices based on principle and when we're in our comfort zone you know we're taught to stay in that comfort zone or our bodies want to keep us in that comfort zone which means stay comfortable stay yeah. on the couch stay stay with these friends stay doing this this is what the world told you you would do and, and we kind of generate the results in life we think we deserve and so tell me a little bit about that that first risk you took and, and how hard that was to get out of your comfort zone yeah I mean first of all I think the comfort zone is the most disastrous place you can ever be. I think that's where dreams and goals and aspirations and potential go to die. Um, but it's it's easier said than done to get out of that. So for me, really the first thing, I grew up in an, in an area where everybody stayed around there for school. So even though it may not seem magnanimous to other people, 
one of my biggest things was going was one of the only few people that went away for college and being away from home. And I ended up going to a, a prep school for high school. Um, I was a bit of a disaster. I was a jerk. Didn't understand anything about awareness, about gratitude, about love, nothing. Uh, just self-entitled and, and just thought everything revolved around me. And so I ended up knowing that I went to a boarding school, um, which really got me to understand there are other people out there and to kindness and just simple lessons. And then I went to college. For me, that was a big risk to get away from, you know, my friends and my family and just be a not close to them and not have them as this, you know, immediate place to go to. So even though it may not sound magnanimous, that for me was a big change for me and something that so few people did in my neighborhood. Yeah, that I mean, I, God, I'm, I'm so glad you pointed that out. I mean, people think taking risks is jumping out of a plane. I mean, mm -hmm. you know. Getting outside of your comfort zone, going to where there's a group of people you don't know that you've never experienced, leaving the comfort of your friends and all of the social experience you have, that's a traumatic, that's, you know, that's a big jump for, for you to take. And, and, it, and it preys on a lot of your insecurity. You know, I remember when I went down to Fairfield University, I grew up in Maine. And so um, because I was, I was escaping my childhood, for me, Fairfield was just the furthest school I got into. But I remember when I got there, you know, and I looked around you know, all I saw were rich kids from the greater New York area. And I was this kid from Maine with a jean jacket and Herman survivor work boots. And my insecurities were like, you don't belong, you don't belong here. You're not going to make it here. And so I appreciate the courage to, to go to school. Um, and while it doesn't seem like jumping out of a plane or going to fight in a, in a war for you at the time, it was way outside your comfort zone and, and probably think, brought up a lot of insecurity. Hell yeah. And I think that's a great lesson as we just start to chat is I say this all the time, but the universe does not reward scale. It rewards consistency. So it doesn't have to be like you, everything, this huge scale of risk. It can just be something that's just a little bit uncomfortable. And I'll give you an example, going to a networking event, like some people just to get up. And if you're an introvert, just to go to a networking event and try to meet some people and introduce yourself to somebody that doesn't know that's a risk. And even though it may not be huge, you do that again and again and again, you're preparing your brain, your body and your soul to when the time comes to take that big risk. I've had a lot of practice that's cumulative that adds up. So taking those big, big, big risks, whether it be financially, mentally, emotionally, whatever, they're a little bit easier to do. So you're really training yourself with those little things to, to build for the big things. Yeah, it's amazing. So how was school for you? I mean, you, 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 were, the, you were the kid who showed up there entitled and comfortable, and, and, and how did it go for you? Yeah, um, I learned real fast that there are just other people in the world and that things don't revolve around me. And the simple lessons that I learned through my prep school were simple kindness. Be, and, and I didn't, the reason I went, I was a disaster. So I was going to play varsity sports as a freshman at my public school. I was quitting all sports as a sophomore in my prep school. And so it was like I was drinking and doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. And I had no appreciation or love for my family, which is ridiculous looking back on it. But what it taught me to do was, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I started to love my mom, dad and sister oh, <laughs> in man. a way that I never had before, just simply because I was in a different environment. I think that my brain started to learn, you know, little simple lessons that aren't taught in school. You know, where are the lessons on courage, on empathy, on love, on gratitude and all those things? I think those are some of the most important lessons that help us not only in our life, but business. Yeah, we, we don't, you know, I have a, my, my fiance has a foundation that teaches emotional intelligence to at-risk kids and emotional intelligence sh should be a, should be a class school, Absolutely. you know, um, course that we should teach in elementary school, you know, self-awareness, self-regulation, you know, that, that, that we can have a thought strategy that your self-talk matters that you know thoughts are random but thinking isn't and can you think about the right things and and you know, i think our as kids we're taught from a very young age you know 
don't run, don't do this, that, you know, that, that the world's a scary place. And, and we start to get that kind of, I, I like to say mommy, daddy, trauma and drama. They kind of mm-hmm. pre-wire and feed that negative bias that we have and helping kids understand that that's not necessarily the way they need to think and it's not necessarily the way they should think and that there's a different way to think, but, but we don't teach kids that right. and they suffer. Um, you know, we, we just lost a, a local girl here who was a, a goalie uh, for the Stanford University soccer team. She was the game-saving goalie in the national championship game against North Carolina, and they found her um, a week ago in her dorm room, you know, and she had oh. taken her own life because, we, you know, and as you just said, we don't, we don't know what's going on with everybody else. There are other people in the world, and, and we need to care for one another, you know, and I think that's a big message that you've taught so many of us is the power of asking for help, and, and we'll get into that on your journey and, and the power of gratitude. I mean, when I, I said when you sat down, I said when I think of – when I think of you, I think of three things. I think of asking for help, I think of gratitude, and I think of empowering badass women mm-hmm. to make big differences in this world. And, and I mean, that's a far cry from a guy quitting sports, you know, in prep school, drinking and doing a bunch of drugs. <laughs> and, and so we gotta know how this all happened, man, because it's a big transformation. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the biggest thing is, I still remember when I was in prep school, the first book that I read in terms of the self-development journey, and it was Jack Canfield's Chicken Soup for the Soul. And it's a, I, I'm, I'm a very slow reader. I've never been tested. I'm pretty sure I have ADD. And so for me to read consistently, it takes a really long time. So I would read the short stories. I would look at the table of contents. I would say, well, okay, this story is a page or half a page. I would read that one. And I still remember where I was when I read the first story. I remember what it was. I remember how it made me feel. I remember the people around me. And I, it, it gave, it, I remember how it felt. Like it, I got emotional reading this story. And it just for me it made me just say hey there's other people out there and feeling good is a derivative or a result of making other people feel good and i remember exactly where i was and i think that was kind of the first before i got into investing in myself paying people to teach me paying people to coach me that was my first real mentor i would say outside of my family yeah we don't we don't pay that enough privilege i mean we expect that if you're a world-class athlete, even if you're in high school, if a, a high school athlete, you know, we'll, we assume you've got a coach. You know, most kids who are trying to excel at a very high level, they will have a position coach, they'll have a skill coach. You know, but when it comes to um, our our business acumen, when it comes to our mindset, our mental performance, we somehow dismiss like I should handle this on my own. But there's a lot of people a lot further down the road, and you know, we can talk a little bit about the people that have helped shape and mold you guys, like. Um, like Dave Meltzer, guys like um, John uh, Ashraf mm-hmm. in in San Diego, Tom Billy. I mean, you, you've surrounded yourself with a remarkable group of people. And for somebody who was, you know, that kid in prep school who learned this little lesson, Red Chicken Soup by the Soul, I really am excited to hear about, because I think a lot of people don't see that path. They, they really, you know, I, I said recently when I was speaking on Sunday that no one needs to win or worry alone, you yeah. know? And, and, and so how did you learn this this first forte into asking somebody for help i mean that came from when i i started my own business and i started speaking and, and that i had um i mean my goodness i had seven offices before that i worked for a really big company I had seven offices all over southern california i made really good money and spent like nothing i didn't have many expenses and we did a wellness event and it was just for fun i had learned about acidity and alkalinity and that's when physically i really transformed and we just did it for fun and a woman came up and confided in me i didn't know her and she asked me to coach her husband and i was like i didn't do coaching at the time i just started and this is i saw my job so it was kind of interesting i said look what's going on and she had two kids three and six and uh i was like look i'm not married i don't have kids i don't know what that's like but try this 
And she implemented what I had given her to try. And she said it changed the dynamic of her mornings, relationship with her children, relationship with her husband. And I quit my job. I was like, that was the best feeling I've ever had from what she told me, how she felt based on what I gave her to, to try. Which was? So I, I said, when the kids are running around going crazy, like literally just say, grab them, say, what does gratitude mean? They're not gonna know what it means, right? And that she did that and she said the kid asked what it meant, which is the whole point of it, to create a different dialogue between parent and child. So the parent explains what gratitude means. And then she told, this is what she told me. She said, after she did that a couple of days later, the kids get in the car and they call them grateful fors. And now they just start firing off. Mommy, I'm grateful for this. Mommy, I'm grateful for this. Mommy, I'm grateful for that. And they do that all the way to school. And she said it changed the whole dynamic and energy of the morning. So now, but what's utopic about it is those two kids, they go talk to two kids. And then those two kids go talk to two kids. And they don't even know it, but they're being conditioned. And that whole experience, she didn't necessarily, you know, say, Ricky, can you help me? She said, can you coach my husband? So indirectly, she kind of asked me for help. And I was a part of being able to facilitate that help. And then when I started my business, I didn't know anything, you know, and I hemorrhaged money for eight months and made nothing. So that's when, about when I met Dave and he said, ask and attract. So spend an hour asking for people if they can help you and offer their help, offer your help. And that's how I built my whole business. I just did an event and I said, look, you know, if you know of anybody that can help me or if you know anybody that would benefit from this, let me know, let me give me a referral. And so he just made it so simple. It's like, yeah, I can do it all my own and pay all my own dummy tax or I can go and ask for help. And the beauty part is that, is that when we ask for help, we honor the people that are willing to help us. <laughs> so it actually makes them feel awesome. It makes us feel awesome. It's this huge win. It um, is. And that's so great that you said that because, you know, often I'm, I'm apt to pick up the check. I'll pick up, you know, it's on me, it's on me. And what I realized is that it was becoming very selfish, right? There was part of my ego that was attached to picking up the check. And I was denying the other person the opportunity to do something that would make them feel good. And, and I think we, f we forget, and you just brought this point home so, so hard is, you know, asking somebody for help is, uh, is giving them a gift. And we often see it as what? An inconvenience. I don't, they're too busy. I don't want to ask them. And, and meanwhile, we're there toiling you know, and, and really struggling to get through whatever it is we're going through. And a simple phone call from somebody who's a little further down the road gives them this uplift that helps them through their day. And I don't think people really connect those dots as well as you do. A hundred percent. And I think this is another like list moment, takeaway moment, if we will. But number one, it comes from strength. Asking for help comes from strength, not weakness. People are so afraid to do it because like, oh, I need to do it on my own. Oh, I need to be strong. No, no, no. The stronger you are, the more you can ask for help. And the second thing I want to make sure to whoever's listening is you may ask for help for 10 people. Maybe five say yes. Maybe five say go F yourself, right? Whatever they say is almost irrelevant because when you keep asking, it's a good energy to put in the world. Some will, some won't but keep going and keep asking. Because I think when people finally build up enough courage to ask for help, and then for whatever reason, somebody says no, or they say yes and then don't, keep going, keep asking. Because somebody will help you and you get to honor them by allowing them to help you. That's how I felt when I helped this woman completely indirectly. It was literally, I quit a very comfortable job to make nothing for eight months and average money. That's how good of a feeling it was. And it changed the alter, it altered the trajectory of my life. So when people are, are facing those moments and, and they, 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 they're trying something new, they're taking that risk. And, and I think many people 
who are stuck, you know, that listen to this and have something they need to overcome, whether it, whether it's a financial setback, a relationship setback, a drug, an alcohol problem, a medical diagnosis, a family death. There's lots of things people are, are struggling with, and just the pressures of everyday life today. Um, you know, what was what's the narrative that you tell yourself when it comes to having the courage to ask for help and, and, and finding the courage gene instead of the, you know, inconvenience gene? Sure, and I would say, look, we can live in a couple different worlds. The world I want to live in is potential and possibility. I want to maximize potential and who knows what's possible out there. And when we ask for help, that's the world that we get to live in because we can maximize our potential and who knows what can help. That I mean, when people help us, there's it can go off in so many different arenas and it's exciting to live in that space. So instead of thinking, oh, what if this person doesn't help me? I like to play the what if game. We play the what if game in like, you know, what if it doesn't work out? What if I get hurt? What if this happens? What if the negative happens? Well, what if the awesome stuff happens? What if it actually works out? What if I get somebody in my network that can change the alter my life? And what if through helping, they helping me, now what if I can help somebody else and offer the change the trajectory of their life? Because that's the best feeling on the planet. So what if in that potential and possibility start having your brain go in there what if that happens? That would be awesome. What if this person can really help me and because they help me, I can help somebody else. What if that happens? And I think when our brain starts going there, it can't be grateful and fearful at the same time. So we choose every single second of every single day. So it's almost like preparing yourself to go and ask for help and then win, lose or draw, how whatever happens, keep doing that because the potential and the possibility is endless. And it's really changed the trajectory of your life. And you've started to, I mean, I think that, that expectancy theory says what we focus on expands. And so as you build that ask for help muscle, you know, you become less fearful and, and it's allowed you to put some amazing people in your life. So talk a little bit about how you went from, you know, just kind of starting and getting off the ground in, in your, your new business and starting to ask for help to, to then surrounding yourself with that next level of people because it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. And I, I think I like how you called it a muscle because it's a skill set. Asking for help is a skill set. It takes freaking practice, practice. And it also allows you to be vulnerable, which I think that is kind of, we've heard this before, but it's kind of the new leadership. Nobody wants to follow somebody who's never had a challenge or an instance in their life where they felt vulnerable. I think vulnerability is great to be able to share, especially from the masculine energy. Um, but so I think asking for help and then offering help, that's to answer your question. That's where I started to, when I would ask for help, maybe some people could, maybe some people couldn't, but then said, hey man, can I do anything for you? Now, I also learned from Tom, who's a dear mentor and friend, I stopped asking what I could do for you and I started finding that out through my own research. Um, so that was one of the things that I have a keynote now called give to give, not give to get. And people still ask me all the time, why do you do all these things for other people when there's no return? Number one, there is a return. There's many more returns than just monetary. Um, but Tom brought this up many times in my arena with him. He said, I got so good, he couldn't ignore me. And all I did was uh, I would go, I was able enough to go to his house and uh, somebody invited me to his house to watch Impact Theory. I would just bring their staff books. I would bring them pizza on two day shoots. I would just help their staff. And in that, he was like, I have to, I have to acknowledge what this guy's doing because he's looking after all the people that look after me. And I think the way that I got to meet him was pretty important too in this whole give to give. I gave a keynote at uh, Keller Williams and a guy asked me to coach him. And I gave him my coaching menu, said it was, you couldn't afford it. And I said, look, my mentor, David Meltzer said to help people if I feel they'll be help their life, even if there's nothing in it for me. 
So I coached him for a couple months. He had a great uh, Q2 in Keller Williams that year. And he had known Tom through Inside Quest. And when, when it was Inside Quest and then he moved it to Impact Theory. So he had the relationship. He asked me if I wanted to go to his house. I said, heck yeah. But it would have never have happened if I didn't offer my help for somebody who I felt had that potential and possibility in his own life. Yeah, good begets good, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if we're if we're trying to just be the best version of ourselves and see how we can be of service to somebody else, we don't know what's going to happen. But but I know this: if I spend my my days in scarcity, and if I spend my and I and I spent a lot of days in scarcity. I mean, you're talking about somebody who spent a lot of days chewing a lot of Vicodin and drinking a lot of alcohol, mm-hmm. doing bad and getting bad and hurting people. I know what that feels like, and I know no good really ever came of it. Not for me, not for my family, not for the people I said I cared about. However, the past is not predictive. And just because something happened doesn't mean what happens next can't be different. So when I changed, and I changed the way I behaved, and I started to behave the way I should behave, the trajectory of my life changed greatly. And so, you know, unintended consequences, I think, are, are what you're talking about, of just trying to be of service. And, and I like the humility, um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that principle and how it served you, because you didn't go in to serve Tom. You don't. You didn't go in to, to 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 bring him something cool. You went in to help the people that are helping him, which is, you know, in my estimation, an act of humility to say, I don't need to. I don't need to. I don't need to put myself in his place. I can put myself in their place and just try to be of service. Yeah, and I think that's and it serves too because I, I I asked them what can I do, you know, for Tom, but without asking Tom directly. And who doesn't like pizza? You know, so I would bring them some pizza and they just, they were all super appreciative. And I think that's another takeaway moment. It's the little things, man. It's the little things. And I have this one thing in terms of humility. I, you know, every once a month, I'll do a random act of kindness. And I try to do it where they don't know it's me. And some of the best, and I'll try to film it too. So like, for example, when I would travel a lot uh, and I'd be in the South, I, I love Waffle House, right? Yeah, Judge me sure. when you're perfect. I love Waffle House. Are you kidding me? Where else can you get, where else can you get a full breakfast of really, really delicious food for like $4.99? <laughs> right. I, I, was just, I was just there in October. Yeah. Let's and go. So some of those times where I've actually bought somebody without them knowing a $6 meal, I go up, I say, I'll pay for the meal. When they come, let them know it's paid for. Have been, they, they like freak out and it's six bucks. You know, so it's just the little things I think are cumulative and we overlook them. Like they can't make that big of a difference. But I found it's the little things like the pizza that for Tom's staff that made the biggest difference. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's talk about happiness because some people say it's the pursuit of happiness. I like to say the pursuit is happiness, which is the daily activities that we engage in. I have like a seven part formula to happiness. You know, like what kind of relationship do you have with your hobbies? You know, what kind of relationship do you have with yourself? What kind of acts are you doing for other people? Are you using the gifts God gave you? You know, or are, or are you stagnant? You know, if you love to play the guitar, is it sitting in your closet or do you play the guitar and do you play it for other people? You know, and the behaviors of happiness perceive the feelings of happiness. I think people think, oh, I'll wait to do that when I feel, and if I, and, but it's actually the doing. And, and so when you walk out of Waffle House, I mean, and look, I, I've known you for a while now, and I see you, and when you come in person, if you're watching this, that smiles, that smiles <laughs> on his face. I mean, he's, uh, he, he lives joy, and it's, and, and it's because, but it's from the inside, right? It's, it's not this external, when I get, I'll be happy. It's like you get happiness from a $6 random act of kindness, from going to scout the school that you have an opportunity to talk at, from getting 
you know, Carolina on Kelly Clarkson. You, the smile comes from doing. And I think we just need to, to, to see that so we can do more instead of sit around doing less and feeling less. I think that's a great point, too, because it, it, people inverse it. Right. When I get this, I'll be happy. No, bullshit. You can have, you can think and imagine visualization and the whole point of neuroscience and visualization. You can feel it so you can feel any way you want. You can feel like garbage or you can feel good. And I think that comes from, you know, a lot of my keynotes I, from John and some of the biggest mentors that talk a lot about the brain science and neuroplasticity and all that kind of stuff. And the thing that I'm most known for whenever I go talk and what people want the most from me is my gratitude poem. It's a simple gratitude poem. Now, the gratitude poem it, it, on, the, on the first side is the challenge side. So things that are people usually bitching and complaining about and how to convert them from negative to positive. But it's just this simple poem that everybody asks me about. And I've read it every single day, with the exception of three days, since July 15th, 2015. So I've read it every single day. And now people say, oh, that's just Ricky. He's just positive. And I say, no, asshole, I work on it. That's <laughs> Every right. single day, it's a skill set. So, and I try most, I intend to most days to do it before I pick up my phone. But I read a gratitude poem before I start my day. Every single freaking day. Doesn't take long, might take two minutes. and. So then when I go out in the world, I have this. I have been programmed in a way, shape, or form that makes me feel good. A lot of challenges happen. Now I can deal with them, in my opinion, in a more productive way because I have been programmed in some way. Um, and it's not this 25-minute meditation. You know, at the beginning of the year, my business blows up because people want to run 20 miles a day. They want to meditate for four hours a day, and they want to eat lettuce. That's their new health plan because they think scale, right? And it's not scale. It's about consistency. So I say, no, write a two-line gratitude poem. Read it for 20 seconds every day. Like, start with that. Um, so I, I think that's exactly right. People inverse it. I'll be happy when. Well, I can choose to be happy right now. And that sounds utopic and it sounds simple because it is. <laughs> so, and then you'll, it's just funny, man. When you start to do that on a consistent basis, things start to change. Just like Dyer, change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I don't think there's ever been a truer quote to live by, not just to post on social media. No, it's, it's, it's very true. And I want to talk about gratitude for a second. It was something I was really wanted to, because you've transformed. So I've, I've had a gratitude practice for years. I have a, I have a journal. I'm on my, you know, second one of 500 pages. Every day I write, down my gratitude list and I, I write it in a specific way that I'm grateful for the fact that um, but but over the course of, of stretching myself and doing this this new uh, public speaking and, and mental performance training and working with with large groups in, in training I had a lot of anxiety you know because I've been a commercial real estate developer for years I've been on the hard asset side now moving over to this emotional side and and you really transformed my gratitude list because I wrote and I remember writing it, thinking of you, I wrote, I'm grateful for my anxiety because it brings me closer to my God because I'm realizing that I'm not in faith when I'm sitting over here in fear and that I'm really not connected to my higher power and I'm not really trusting my higher power because he's led me to this place. I'm doing it. The, res the, the, the results of me doing it are positive. So I'm sitting here in fear and, 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 and I got that from when I heard you talk about gratitude for the crying baby. You know, gratitude, you know, you've got this, you know, you've got this innate ability to say, look, you, you, and I think you call it your gratitude chat. Like, give me anything, and you'll turn it into a thing to be grateful for. And, and, and I love to hear about where that came from because, you know, like I said, it it really helped me transform. Even when I think things aren't good for me, that they're showing me something that can get better. Yeah, yeah. Right? And and that's something. It's funny whenever I'm at an event, and you know, most people say you write three things you're grateful for. I write. I say write three things down that piss you off. Right on, man. Because <laughs> we can work on converting. I think it's just like anything else. Like we're talking about, there's skill sets work on them the better you work on them the more you work on them the better you get so when we get in shape 
is you're going to get more in shape running uphill or downhill. When you've ever played any sports, anything at all, do they have you run hills or do they have you run downhill? So gratitude, I think, is very important, not just for the things that are easy to be grateful for. Anybody being grateful when it's rainbows and ice cream outside. It's when the challenges come and how efficient and productive I am at converting that energy from negative to positive. Gratitude is one of the ways to be able to do that. So, and those were the things like Jack Canfield, Asaroff, Meltzer, Tom Bilyeu, they all had specific ways on how I looked at it. But the screaming baby was the first time where I was like, I, when I'm on a red eye flight, I get an aisle seat, I got my neck pillow, I can sleep like a baby. So the thing that just pissed me off, and I would say I apologize to people who have kids out there, but I was like, somebody shut that baby up or I'm going to freaking shut it up. And it was just, it just drove me nuts. And I literally remember I was going from um, LA to Boston and I said, I'm grateful, period, for the screaming baby on the plane, period, because it means that I can hear. Like think, and I think, I call it simplistic beauty, man. I mean, we, we woke up today, we got a pulse. You know how many people had goals and dreams yesterday didn't wake up today? But do we give thanks for that? No, we wake up and we bitch and we complain. Well, hold on, just time out for just a second. Do you feel that? So no matter what we're going through, there is something. And I think that is a great conversion of energy. I think conversion of energy is one of the greatest skills on the planet. The greatest conversion of energy I got, I can think of is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. The most unfathomable, inhumane thing to ever happen in human history. And Viktor Frankl was in a death camp. And I believe it was his mom, his dad, and his, and his wife were burned alive. And when you talk about perspective, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning that got him out of that. And he credits that book and logotherapy and all that stuff getting him out of that place. And the number one hack or brain hack that I have to stop my bitching and complaining, is this a, is this a Viktor Frankl problem? Is what I'm going through a Viktor Frankl problem? No, it's not. Now I can get back to being productive and profitable. Yeah, and 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 I think you know the, the the lesson that came out of that for all of us is that those those the Nazi soldiers, the people in the concentration camps, could take his family and they could take parts of his freedom, but they could never take the way he reacted to life. And he mm -hmm. chose in each moment how he wanted to react to life. And he had a, a bit of a playbook. He had his own set of values. And 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 maybe you know we can transition into how important it is to know what we stand for and to know what our values are because. For me, values are like another muscle, right? I mean, I had for years, as I talk about when I was when I was in the throes of my addiction, my dishonesty muscle was very strong. I grew up from a very young age because of what was happening in my house, learning to be dishonest. I'd lie about what was happening to me. I'd lie about how I grew up. I'd lie. I'd say my dad took me to baseball games because I didn't want anyone to know he was beating me. I didn't want anyone to know he bashed my head against a brick fireplace. So my dishonesty muscle got very strong. And I found in order to live the life I wanted to have, that I had to start working out my honesty muscle. So in the in the face of adversity, my strongest reaction would be my strongest value. And, and for a lot of times it was dishonesty in the face of adversity, that the lie was easier than the truth because it would protect me. Learning to be honest, I have to tell you, as simple as it may sound, was very hard for me because it exposed me yeah. that I'm not perfect, that I did make a mistake, that I have to own the fact that I did this yesterday and I, and I regret that and I'd like to make that right because the truth is I didn't miss the meeting 
I scheduled another meeting that I thought was more important. Mm. I couldn't say that before, right. you know. Right. So, so tell me, and I think that's what va- what Victor Frankel taught us is he had a set of values that were how he chose to respond. Yeah. And because those values were so strong and important to him, he could rely on them in the face of adversity. And so maybe you can give us a, a little bit on the importance of values, Ricky. Yeah, for, and it, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, and I think that's a great rabbit hole to go down. What's important to you? You know, for mine, my number one thing is gratitude. It's just I can find if people bring me a challenge and not saying just like the the woman who confided in me. I don't know what being married is like. I've never been married. I don't know what having kids is like. I've heard it's very challenging and very rewarding. So I don't know what that's like. And that's the first thing that I share when people bring me problems or challenges. And but what I do feel like I'm good at is changing perspective that makes me feel good as simply as it can be. So that's a huge value to me. And gratitude is one of those ways to do that. Um, Now I went down a rabbit hole of literally asking myself, okay, I'm gonna be speaking or doing this, what is important to me? But you don't have to be a speaker or coach to do this practice. You can be anything and it works for your life. So a good question to ask is for me, and it might sound utopic, but it's something that can be very simple is, what's important to me, what are my values and what do I wanna contribute to the world? Those are simple things. And, and it, again, they don't have to be huge and magnanimous. It can be going outside and, and uh, smiling at somebody. It can be texting a friend and being like, hey, I'm here for you. Small things add up to make this huge difference. So I think that's a really good question for people to ask is what's important to me? What are my values? That's how I've constructed kind of mine. Yeah, it's great because I think when you live by values, you can have a successful day anytime because you can apply your values to anything. One of my values is being helpful, right? So being of service and being helpful is, is, is one of my core values. And that's how, that's how I want to show up. And so in the course of a day, how can I be helpful? How can I be honest? How can I be hopeful? You know, and I think hope is another important kind of cousin to gratitude, which is, you know, and you can hold hope and hurt in the same, you can be, you can be, you know, that kind of toxic positivity, I think is out there a bit. And I'm, and I'm a much more optimistic person than I'm a positive person. Cause I, you know, it's hard for me to say, this is good for me. What I can say is I believe there's a lesson in it. I believe that I'm going to learn something. And I believe that the future is going to be a lot better as a result of whatever it is I'm going through. And that perspective is important. No, absolutely. And I think that's, and it's so applicable to everything, right? There's not a person out here that hasn't had challenges. And I, we can even make the argument, the greater the challenges, the greater the success. If you can stay with it and on a long enough time frame, you can win, you know? And that's one of the things that, man, no matter what, and I will literally say this at an event, I'll say, whatever your challenge is, big or small, come and talk to me. I bet you together, we can put our brains together to figure out, not necessarily that you're grateful for it, but redefine the meaning of what it means. And the reason I'm confident in that, when I was, uh, when I had a bunch of sales reps, we sat down and my biggest thing, my biggest go-to when somebody had a big challenge was like, did somebody die? Did somebody die? That's what I would say when somebody was going through. And what, his name was Ivory Heard, I still remember this. And he was like, yeah, my mom was murdered in a home invasion. And I was like, man, it hit me like, you know, this is early, early when I'm coaching, it hit me in my gut. And we sat there for like two hours and, and like cried and redefined the meaning of the reason of why that happened in his mind. And the long, long, long story short was that he had a closer relationship with his brother and they were into things now that they probably wouldn't have been if they weren't forced to reunite at such a young age. Wow. Um, and so and I've had people come up to me after events and give me really, really challenging life and death things. Um, you know, and they, and they stand in a line or whatever and, and, um, and then maybe the next person comes up and they say, I got fired. And it's like, did you did you hear the first person and what they were talking about? 
And then it's almost like, okay, yeah, you can go back to the online. <laughs> but it's great because big or small, there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing that we can't convert into a, what Napoleon Hill called seat of equivalent benefit. Yeah, I think, and this is, I think where, where the rubber meets the road is we can talk about problems. People love to talk about problems. But, and when we focus on problems, we really do get more problems. But when we focus on solutions, we do find solutions. And, and to your point, solution isn't complete resolution of an issue. Mm -hmm. You know, solution is just what's the little step you can take? What's the, what's the next mark you can make? What's the, 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 the simplest thing, the simplest thing you can do that makes the situation a little better? You know, you don't have to do $100 million in a year, but can you make three phone calls to clients that are in need right now? You don't have to, you know, you don't have to reach your goals. What, what can you do if your marriage is struggling? What can you do to understand the needs of your wife and then do something simple to meet them. And so giving people those little steps to take is, is really important. Absolutely. I'll, and I'll share this. Uh, Weldon Long is one of my really first mentors and, and exactly what you just said. So um, one of the things that he has, and again, I'm not married. I don't know what this is like, but maybe this could work. Um, he just simply asked, go to your spouse and ask, what can I do to make your day better? And the thing that um, his current wife said to him was when you throw your socks in the laundry, have them right side out. That was it. That was it. And like she was psyched that he would do this from now on. And he just asked the simple, simple, simple thing. And that's why I think simplicity just we I think we complicate simplicity. Yeah, man. man. I so agree. I so agree. So as we as we as we we wrap up and and I mean, you know, this is just kind of the epitome epitome of who you are, the amount of information that you've provided, the value that you provide. People are struggling, you know, they're looking at the world and, and they've got a set, a set of glasses on. You know, what are the kind of, and, and obviously, let's put gratitude as the number one thing that, that, that you can provide to people, but can you explain to people how they could start a gratitude practice, a meaningful gratitude practice, where they can find your gratitude poem and how they can use that to get them out of whatever it is they're going through right now, Ricky? Sure. And I would say right now, just my perspective, we are living in the greatest time in human history to be alive. I don't think we'll ever have another time to develop new skill sets, expand our minds to what's possible in life and business, or to grow relationship capital. Half the things that I've done in the last two years, they're because of COVID. Now, Granted, are, 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 are people hurting out there? Are people dying out there? Yes. The only way I choose to honor them is to live a productive and profitable and happy life. Wow. That's the way I look at it. I'm unapologetic in that sense. Not that people aren't hurting. People are hurting out there. But if I focus on the hurt, I'm just going to get more hurt. So I, I truly believe now is the greatest time in human history to be alive, bar none. Um, the with the digital age and the investments and the opportunities out here, I think they're like never before. Um, gratitude poem, for me, super simple. Write down the thing that just drives you absolutely nuts and find, redefine the meaning of it. So literally write on a paper and it can be, you know, I've had somebody say, you know, when you're in line for traffic and then somebody cuts the line and then cuts in front of you, that used to drive them nuts. So we sat down and we said, okay, so if you take yourself in that situation, what can you possibly be grateful for? Or what is the silver lining? Or what is the seat of equivalent benefit? I said, do you have a car? I said, yeah. So do you have transportation? You've been blessed with transportation. Do you, how many people want a car and they can't have a car? So it, it, it allows, it slows the game down in my sense. So I would write something down that drives you absolutely nuts. And if you can't find a way or a way to redefine that meaning, ask somebody, what a great practice. Hey mom, hey dad, hey brother, hey sister, hey friend. 
this is thing drives me nuts. What do you think is a positive side of that? Or what is the silver lining here? And if you can't, DM me, email me. Um, if you want a template, you can go to gratitudepoem.com. <laughs> that's the uh, site that you can download a free PDF. Oh, that's awesome, man. And, and, and thank you so much. And so we'll tag all of your all of your social media platforms, but give people quick as they're listening how they can get in touch with you, where they can follow you and, and learn more. And I'll tell you, I, I've, I've learned so much following you and being connected with you. Your, your messages are inspirational. Watching what you're doing with young people, watching that you, know, you spread this, this message of gratitude and hope and asking for help, um, it's, it's remarkable. And, and championing you know, badass women that are making big changes in this world. I mean, you know, from where you came from and what you're doing, um, it's, it's just inspiring, dude. Thank you, man. It's been an honor. Yeah, um, yeah any uh, rickymendez.com. Uh, Ricky Mendez Speaks is my Instagram. Ricky Mendez on YouTube. Um, really, that's anything with Ricky Mendez. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming in, man. Great to see you, and, and good luck up in Ohio. Awesome. Thank right you. On. Thank you.